Welcome to the Adversity Psychologist Podcast, a podcast incorporating narratives about facing and navigating adversity, a mixture of people, their experiences, and professional psychological discussion. I'm Dr. Tara Quintarillo. I'm a qualified and regulated psychologist with over 20 years' experience of mental health, disability, and human behavior. I want to share people's stories of navigating adversity in the hope that through being heard, a dose of compassion and some understanding, we can help others in the face of adversity too. I'm Dr. Tara and today I'm really delighted to have an amazing guest on with a insightful background into mental health, Trisha Goddard. I'm going to let her introduce herself because as I say, I never do my guest justice when I do that. Welcome, Trisha. Um, welcome. Thank you for having me. Um, how would I describe myself? I just describe myself as a Trisha, um, mother of two adult children. Um, I worked in television now for 36 years, television and media. Um, the other things that I have, um, I've been a mental health activist since 1980. Ooh, Six or seven, I would say. Um, first as an Australian government advisor for two Australian governments and head of the National Community Advisory Group on Mental Health. I've been a member of the World Psychiatric Association, worked all over the world um, and kind of had it as a dual career with um, media. I have been patron of um, Norwich and now Norfolk Homestart since its inception, because there wasn't one when I first got to Norfolk in 1999, uh, still patron of that, a patron of mine for very, very many years um, and an ambassador there, and also uh, a patron for um, the... Queen Consorts Charity, the Royal Osteoporosis Society, as well as the British Lymph Society. So that that kind of wow. sums me up. Sorry for all of that. It took ages. It's amazing. So yes, of course, I've followed your work for years and we've talked before, haven't we? Yes, Which is yes. why I really wanted to get you on my podcast because what I like are people who talk and do rather than just talk. So people who give their time like yourself to try and just broaden our knowledge, help people, I, I don't want to overuse the word, but normalize conversations about well-being, mental health, coping, resilience. Um, and the fact, you know, I was just reminding myself this morning of, of your career and the things that you've done, but um, to kind of be chairperson on a national advisory group is just... Mm incredible isn't it that um, was very difficult very difficult I mean it, it came about because of um my youngest sister had had schizophrenia for, for many many yes, years yeah um and in those days we're talking about the oh god 70s and 80s the treatment in the UK was basically over medication and locking up and a, and a revolving yeah. door mental institutions and what have you um and eventually and I always say the stigma probably got to her as much as the illness and she she took her own life um and it was I, I you know she was in intensive care I got the call awful made a trip back to England which was the longest trip because from Australia where I was living back to England took some yes, 28 yeah. hours in those days. um she was in hospital for six weeks before she passed away and um I at the time I had been fronting a, a, the nightly news and current affairs program uh, in Australia, the major one, flagship one called the Seven Thirty Report. So I was away for that time. I, I came back just before she passed away. I said my goodbyes to her, and um, because everybody wanted to know 
where I'd been. I was the first black person on Australian television. I'd made history there. Um, and so there were all these rumours swirling. I'd been sent packing to England and all this sort of thing. And my bosses had been very good and not said anything. So they said, when I got back, look, look we'll do a press conference and you can say, you know, yeah. what's happened. So um, I was at the, you know, the few journalists there and the head of the um, publicity department actually did me a favour in hindsight because she came up and she said, I wouldn't say anything about the mental stuff. And that absolutely incensed me because my kid sister was my kid sister. She, yes, she had a mental illness, but she was not her mental illness. Absolutely. And um, I was infuriated and, and I said, you know, uh, I talked about Winnie, which is what, what we called her. So this is what she was like. She volunteered at an old people. So she did this. Oh, oh, oh. And she, by the way, she had... Uh, schizophrenia and you know um, you know and I, I I started talking about it and I could see I could see the faces of the I could see the faces of the um PR people and I couldn't give up stuff you know this was my kid sister and um then a couple of very odd things happened um when she passed she, she passed away by that stage um very odd things happened I had a um what was he he's like second in charge senior producer of the show ron ronnie sinclair is no longer with us he, he passed away ron sinclair and he his wife uh denise denise was a teacher school teacher and ron called me into his office at seven thirty before and he said did you go into a, a church because I'd said to my then partner, I just want to go to any church. I don't care where I want to go to any church. And I walked into the first church and I prayed and I screamed at God and everything. And then I wrote a long prayer in the prayer book uh, and left. And Ron said to me, did you go into St. Whatever Church um, today? And I said, oh, whatever day it was. And I said, yes, why? And he said, well, Denise was passing with her class and they said miss can we it was catholic school can we go into that church she said they did and they looked in the prayer book and yours was the first right thing that they saw now that was 1988 um when Winnie killed herself 1988 that school since 1988 has raised funds for the schizophrenia fellowship in australia wow. since that Day. That was the first weird thing. The other thing was Linda's favourite song was The Woman in the Moon, because as many people with a mental illness or even depression would feel, if you listen to the words of Woman in the Moon by Barbara Streisand, it is like you're captured, like you're you're looking at the world from afar and you're in the, you know, it, it really, the words of that really resonated with Linda. And I was trying to find it in those days, a vinyl copy of it, couldn't find one anyway. I'd sent my then partner, the, the, the father of my kids actually, before I had them, I'd sent him away. I just said, I want to be in the church on my own. And he'd gone next door and there was an old record and bookshop. And he was rifling through them. On the top was a copy of Barbara Streisand's Woman Gosh. in the Moon, which to this day I have. And those two things to me, because I do have a very strong sense of faith, I thought, you know what? Those are two coincidences that are speak to me. You can call them what you like, coincidences, miracles, faith, whatever, but they speak yes. to me. And I became very vocal about, instead of... And my family had hidden, even though both my parents were mental health, were psychiatric nurses, it wasn't spoken about. Really? And we, right. you know, and we know to this day for mental health staff to talk about their own mental health to their colleagues yeah. is, is rare. It's yes, very yes. difficult. Um, so um, I 
I decided to talk about it then and much to the, you know, I, I think my colleagues thought, oh, my God. But what happened was I had many people in high places, an Olympic swimmer, an Olympic coach, a famous actor, actress, all say, you know what, I'll give an interview to you because you understand this stuff. So then it became a relevant conversation, mainly because of the names that felt comfortable with talking to me about it, because I'd spoken about it. I then became very active about it, and I became a thorn in the Australian government side, because I was like, although my sister died in England, I started looking at services in Australia. And I was asked by the government to chair the National Community Advisory Group on Mental Health, which was a group of um, people who had lived experience of mental illness and their carers. Every single bit of legislation, finance, everything had to go through this group. People from every state in Australia, we had to rubber stamp it and give our advice to the health minister, who who was a fantastic health minister at that time. And we became a very powerful voice for experience with people with lived experience and it was one of the first examples I think anywhere in the world of of of, um, people with lived experience having such input yeah it's kind of pioneering isn't it really it was pioneering yes yeah really was but also stepping outside of that comfort zone takes a lot to do that sometimes doesn't it to go this matters enough for me to do something about it and showing that that can create change as well. So that's one of the things that struck me. I've been on your show a few times and um, one of the things that I really like, if it's all right to say, is just how much you're able to share. And and I think mm. that really resonates with people, that people want to hear lived experience. You know, we can read up about things in books. We can see sparkly social media campaigns, but actually mm. people need to hear lived experience. And also we've talked before on your show about the difference between hearing and listening, haven't we? You know, oh. saying you want to hear versus here we are. Let's. I'm going to take the time and do yes, something. Yes, exactly. With it. And 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 you know, coming back to to the National Community Advisory Group on Mental Health, it was very very difficult at first. Very difficult yes, because yeah. people uh, who had been institutionalised and what have you. And in order to cope with it, I, I'd done stories on um, different faiths, and I was very attracted to the Baha'i faith because I'd done some work with the UN, and Baha'is are very. Uh, right. involved with peacekeeping as they were with the peacekeeping process in Ireland and what have you. I'm very, you know, I, I admire the, the the work that the Baha'i have done uh, in peacekeeping. So I did their conflict resolution course because there were many conflicts because the people with lived experience, I had a look, there was a way of dressing. There was a uniform with which they had become comfortable. And the carers had a uniform with which they become comfortable. They very much wanted to identify themselves as carers, if you like, keeper of the sanity, while their own mental health was probably being eroded by being a carer or or having a, a loved one with mental illness. Meanwhile, the people with mental illness were so used to being pigeonholed as poor on the receipt of 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 assistance and disabled and i i remember looking around and saying look how we dress and we make up our minds about people within yes. 7 seconds look how we dress look at the we we we're, we're tribes here and we we are meant to be approaching a government as one they should not be able to pick out who is the carer 
and who is the person with mental illness? Because many of you carers have underlying uh, underlying mental health issues. Yes. You don't have a mental illness diagnosis, but you have poor mental health brought about by the financial strain, the emotional strain, access to services for your loved one strain. And the people often with mental illness have better mental health because they are at that stage of the life where they've, they've by hook, crook, adventure, whatever, found coping mechanisms that their loved ones who are carers actually haven't accessed yet. So really good points. So let us yeah, so so let us be more aware of what we're saying in, in clothes. And it did change. It did change because we had a lot of retired men who saw themselves as carers who'd come almost in a management role with a suit and a tie yes, to yep, differentiate. Yep. I'm not mad. I'm a carer. Where and I said, you know, everyone in this room has is on the mental health spectrum, and we don't need to identify as anything other than people with mental health issues on that spectrum. And that changed a lot in how we were perceived. Um, and I think the second biggest change is when I had my breakdown, and my group became my support. Yeah. With a very funny yeah. joke, when I the first meeting, um, a guy called Simon Champ, fantastic young man, had said, he said, well, Trisha, now you'll be able to hear the voices as well. <laughs> we all had a good laugh at that. <laughs> and, and the ice was cracked. Um, and, you know, I, I, you know, the first thing I said is, you know what, there are no flowers in psychiatric wards. You know, I, I, I completely got it. You know, I said, when yeah, we visit each yeah. other, and as I did Leonie Manns, God rest her soul, who, who was my second in charge, Leonie was fantastic. When I went to see her and I took my daughter with her, because I said, there's never any children in psychiatric units. Yeah, I said, I don't yeah. see why not. So I took my daughter, Billy, my uh, um, with me, and we took her plants. We took flowers. And the staff were shocked. Um the quickest way you can ever tell somebody's mental health is by giving them a plant or a flower, by the way, a potted plant. The quickest way you can tell, if it's their favourite plant, look at the plant and how they're caring for it because there yes. will be a synergy with their mental health. So yeah. I could tell when I went to visit Leonie how her, her plant was getting on, how she really was. And we had this kind of language. I'd say, God, Leonie, plant's looking a bit shitty. How are you feeling? <laughs> we could have a laugh about it. Kind of good indirect way, yeah, of bringing it up. <laughs> yes, yes. Those unsaid conversations rather than the yes. kind of pleasantries that I yes. think we all get stuck in sometimes because we don't know what to say or we're uncomfortable and we want to we've talked about this on your show before haven't we yes that yes. need to rescue or problem solve and sometimes we don't need to do that people no, just no. want you to make a joke be there yes have absolutely chit absolutely so in terms of kind of one of the things that struck me as well is that you used your conflict resolution training didn't you on television shows as well oh, and you yes. kind of the two things have kind of really stayed in parallel with each other haven't they and even now when you're on talk tv that I, I find that your interviews are such a good balance that you're hearing people sharing your experiences but the thing that always strikes me as well and in my job it's very similar is how do you cope then so we're going to talk a little bit about resilience aren't we and building up skills in your job over the years then you hear things you see things you're in receipt of things gosh we know from my little dibble dabbles in the media 
things change so fast. How do you kind of look after your own well-being then when you're hearing these things, hearing them? Some of the stories are quite powerful, aren't they? They are, well, many of them, many of them. Um, it, it, it is weird, actually, how my passion, two passions have come together, journalism yes. and mental health yeah. have come together. And I think it was always meant to be. I mean, when I started, yeah. it was very untrendy to do, very untrendy to do. I remember having a talk from Michael Burke actually came out to Australia and basically said, you know, this isn't the way to journalism. You can't put your emotions out there. And we argued with him. He later did change his mind after um, wow. Live Aid. But, um, and, and that was thanks to women, more and more women journalists, you know, in Sarajevo and all of those yes, situations, yeah. uh, you know, openly marrying their emotional feelings with their journalism to bring a, a fuller picture of people's suffering. Um, but when I hear, when I listen, to someone's story I run a movie in my head I've always worked with pictures I see their story as a film as it were when they're telling yeah. me that yeah. and just as one would watch a movie and be and feel it it's like a first person movie for that person for, for that person so you are feeling it you are in their moment with them but you are not entangled with it. Yes, that's a good differentiator. Isn't you're it? not yes. you're, you're you're watching it. You're engaged with it. It's like watching. Oh God! But you're not in the movie yourself. You do not insert yourself into that movie. You don't have a part to play in that person's movie of their past. You weren't there. They didn't know you existed. So you, I watch, and I don't just hear with ears I watch their faces their hands their feet because they're all part of the person in in yes. the movie and that tells me a story I'll often get more from their body language and their pauses than actually what they say and I also do a lot of research on everything I do, everything I do, everybody I interview. I do a lot of research and I trained my researchers. I had them trained by uh, mind. I've had them work with mental health experts. I've always uh, yes. done that. Um and most of them have. And I mean, my Sunday show, which is where you, you the, the one that I, I love having you on, um, with, with Carla Batista, I work very closely with her. And she's, some people are very intuitive and she's picked up on how I work. You can't do it with yes. everybody, but on the Sunday show, especially with her. But I work with them. Um, I work deeply with them that by showing which stories and which part of stories. And she listens very carefully to how I interview. Um, yes. So she's one of those yeah. intuitive people. But with my other, my, my, um, when I had my own production company, when I made my own show, I had about 80 staff and I worked very, very closely with them. I have what's called Trisha questions. At the end of all their interviews that they've asked somebody who's coming on my, any show of mine, I have a set of questions that seem completely random, completely random. And they give me a snapshot of the, I'm going to watch the movie of that person's life, but this gives me what colours I'm going to do it, the background, you know, previously on this episode, if you like, what their, their version of normal is. Because yes. I never, ever, and it's one of the biggest mistakes in journalism, the biggest mistakes in journalism. I'd say 99.9% .9 of journalists mistake 
You know, Simone de Beauvoir in The Second Sex has a great saying, and badly translated from the French, in which I, I read it at 17. She said, and remember, this is 1940s France, before yes. women had the vote. She said, the world and everything in it is the work of men. They see it from their own point of view, which they confuse with the absolute truth. Now, I've taken that, and you can expound on that. The world of the West, it's seen from our own point of view, and we confuse that with the absolute truth. We're all confusing our views of the world with absolute truth. And that's one thing I always say to all my producers, do not confuse the world you know with the absolute truth. It is your truth. It is, do not assume it's anybody else's truth. So those questions that I ask, you know, I'd get producing, oh my God, and they'd get that light bulb moment because they would see the backdrop against which those, what those guests had as their backdrop, their absolutely truth. Their version of normal had nothing to do with anyone else's version of normal. So I asked this question. It's very funny. I'll tell you a funny story. Um, uh, Some of my producers, I did the same thing in the States with my producers here. I'd go in on extra days and train them. Um, Dr. Phil has a show um, in many people would know in the States. Yes, familiar. Then uh, there were some staff. He'd, He'd got a new team together. And there were some, a couple of English staff and a couple of uh, American staff. And Alison, one, one of my um, great, great success story producers in for NBC, said she was sitting there. Alison and, um, oh gosh, I've forgotten her name. Uh, uh, no, no, Carmen. Alison and Carmen sitting there. And they were talking because they'd worked together on my show. And they heard someone else say in an English accent, Oh, have you asked the Trisha questions? And they wheeled round and they said, who said that about the Trisha questions? And this chap, Carl Newton, who came from, who'd been my producer in, I'd got him from the audience, would you believe, and trained him up. I've often done that. Kids from the audience, kids who want to go. I I like to get my staff from very different backgrounds because journalism is too homogenous. That's another story. But um, Carl Newton pops up. And he's he's come all the way over from England to America, and he said, "I uh, Trisha Trisha questions, no Trisha Collard changing Trisha questions." And Alison uh, says, "Alison DeFranco says, I know I've got the Trisha questions as well. She trained me in Connecticut, and they told me this story, and I thought, great. Do you know I trained one producer in Norwich." in Norfolk and another one in Stanford, Connecticut. And they're both working on the Trisha questions to, to remind themselves that their version of the absolute truth has no bearing on anybody else. Um, wow. And, and that's something that in every interview I do, I suspend normal as a cycle in a washing machine, but I suspend my beliefs and what I, my flatbed of beliefs I suspend that and put myself into that you know to watch that other person's film with that other person's background that other person's version of normality that's what it's based on and it is not my right to insert myself into that it's to hear to listen and you can deal with it better like that because you're not enmeshing yourself in their world you feel everything you feel it yes yeah, feel it, but you're not enmeshed with it. Because there's a difference, isn't there, between being tokenistic? You know, sometimes people are asking questions. I do see that quite a lot in the media, oh, yeah. where you can, you know, they're not 
feeling it they're not you know it can be quite invalidating I think for some guests as well when they're coming on quite vulnerable often sharing their story vulnerable you know so feedback yes. but as you say that difference between being enmeshed then and actually I think that will resonate with so many actually and actually for me a couple of projects I'm working I'm going to take that away with me and um, the kind of magic Trisha questions are they locked away <laughs> are they kind of it's almost like a model isn't it you know that it is kind a of model. It, effect yeah it's like it's like um I'll ask, what's the worst thing that ever happened to you? Now, for one person, it could be my cat died. Yeah. For somebody else, it could be my mother was shot. Yeah. For somebody else, it could be um, my second divorce. But whatever it is, it will take yeah. you to their time, what they see as the worst things. What is the, what is the happiest you've ever been? For some people, it could be first day at school because I got away from home. Yes, yeah. Um, somebody else I, I've, I had before, um, my first, being able to pay for my first car because it meant I could escape. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, so you, you know, those but very open questions like, you know, um, what's your idea of heaven? What's your idea of hell? You know, somebody could say where I am now. Um, or somebody could say where I'll go. Yeah. And so that tells yeah. me, why do you think you'll go to hell? And, and and that that will be my backdrop when I'm talking to that person. This person feels they're damned. So I know with my when I'm talking to them that that is very much a part of their story, that they're damned. And so I want yeah. to know why, you know. Um, it's very so, therapeutic, isn't it? It's very. It, it is. Absolutely. It is. Absolutely. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Because yeah. I guess one of the things I can't remember what show it was, but there was a guest that you'd had on before me, and I'm trying to think what the topic was. But one of the things that kind of struck me is that we then had a conversation, and I think we were just talking generally about mental health, about not invalidating what someone's going through, and that's just what came to mind for me mm-hmm. then. That actually, and you hear that a lot. I see it all the time on Instagram everywhere I shouldn't be depressed because there are people worse off or oh. I shouldn't be anxious today and, and it's that isn't it that absolutely there, there was all going to be a spectrum of what people are going yes. through um yes. the human condition goes you know <laughs> in many directions doesn't it but that yeah. I think that's so important that some people perhaps have had a history of being invalidated as you say that you don't matter or as you were saying earlier on actually almost pigeonholed put into these little boxes you are the patient you are the carer you're this Um, and I think actually when we're talking about kind of resilience and building up coping I like as a psychologist some old-fashioned toolkit building up a little metaphorical toolkit how important that is to be heard and validated and then to know that perhaps it's all right to talk about your stuff, that you don't have to minimise it. And I'm just thinking what people might get, you know, when you're talking to a journalist who gets that, really gets it. Well, I think it's, you know, this is this is when I, I come back to um, the homogeny of journalism. Yes. I mean, we yeah. joke about it comes from a golden mile. They all went to certain schools and what have you, which is why I've always enjoyed, you know, there was yeah. a chap who worked in the burger bar. We called him Burger Boy, um, where the, <laughs> the, 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 the producers, because they worked such long hours, it was the only place open. He hadn't finished school. He hadn't come out then. He hadn't been able to come out. Yeah. And he wanted to work in television. And so we invited him in for an interview. And we said, what do you, what, what could you bring? I, I'll never say, and no, you couldn't do it. What could you bring? And... He said, well, he was obsessed with fun fair rides, you know, like the, what do you call them? The Helter Skelter, yes, um, yeah. oh, those mad fun fair roller rides. Coasters, big roller dippers, coasters, yeah, yeah. Roller, big dippers. And he said he was obsessed with them, went all over the country with his spare money from his 
working his shifts at the burger bar to go on these rides. And he said, wow. I think television is like, it's like one of those roller coasters. You have to get somebody through the door and then you have to strap them in. So they want to have to take that journey with you. And then you crank them up and then you whoosh down the other side. And he described this. And I said, that's exact, that is exactly yeah. it. And his passion, what have, do you know, he's a senior, senior, senior producer, been around for many, many years. Lots of people from lots of different backgrounds. And most of them have a very solid career in morning television and what have you. And I like, I feel good that I've got this floor manager there, Katie there. I've got this, I've got staff all over peppered through shows who have come from, number one, from a rural area in Norfolk. Yes, you know, not yes. not a city. Um, I used to have job share with with single parents and and all sorts of things and people from all sorts of backgrounds. Some who stayed in television, one who's a a, 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 a fantastic lecturer, uh, media lecturer in um, uh, in Harlow in Essex now, and does true crime podcasts. I had her on my last show. I've known her since she was. 17, 18. She's a wow. mum now of two in her, her 30s. Um, one is a, a doula, a birthing mother, but still puts together these amazing retreats for mothers and sons to bond yes, mothers yes. and sons and, and mothers and teenage daughters and what have you. And she uses all of those things. So I don't, they don't even necessarily have to stay in that. But the fact, you know, and, and, and Jackie, Jackie he Heffer Cook, who I'm talking about, I'm already thinking because I did a story on on maternity uh, on midwifery and how the psychological experience of women going through childbirth is being impacted by the increasing medicalization. I just did an, yes, and yeah. I thought, you know, Jackie Heifer Cook. I've got her to work with Home Start. She's you know, and I've, I I sort of feed them into all my different charities and mental health. And I thought Jackie's a, a done birth yoga and what have you I'm going to get Jackie to start talking to the National Council of Midwives <laughs> so, because she she understands the mental health part so I love that I've got I mean they're now all in their oh, Jackie's 30s 40s 50s you know coming up because I've been doing this for so long but they've got that background of never assuming yeah never presuming and that everybody's experience is valid and that it should be person-led. When we medicalize anything, over-medicalize everything, I don't mean everybody come off your meds, but you know, when we over-medicalize everything, we lose the person. We The, the person is, and, and you use the word really well, invalidated. If you don't feel you have a part in your recovery, you are yeah. stuck in the cycle of victimhood. Yeah, you, you, it's, it's not going to be as successful that if you take even the smallest steps. You know, I, I do that on Instagram. There are many women, you know, that I reach out to, uh, you know, people said, oh, you're all right. You, you had breast cancer. You could do this, that and the other. And I said, I couldn't at first. Come on, walk with me. And I'll often do that. Now I'm recovering with my broken hip. Yeah, yeah. Um, walk with me. And then we used to say, What's over there in the pictures? You know, I don't know. I haven't been that far. Do me a favor. Walk up to there and do it. Now, one lady, I only know her as Shazbat. She was quite cynical years ago when I first got on Instagram. She'd just been diagnosed with breast cancer, couldn't right. get out of bed, didn't know yeah. how you can do anything. 
And I did that with her. She runs, she's done the Great North Marathon and she supports all these other women. And I can say, Shazbat, this is one for you. And we've never met these people, but we'll say, come on, what's around the next corner? Show us what, take a picture which is mindfulness. Yeah. And she's she's run with that. I mean, she probably does that more than me now with other people on Instagram. But that ripple effect, it's there, isn't it? it? Is. That kind of it's quite it's kind of it reminds me of innovation meets duty of care as you say. When you were just talking about the fact that you send staff on mind training, that's going above and beyond, but it actually, you know, when you're thinking about television, it's it's good duty of care, isn't it? To a for your staff as well to be aware yes. for their own yes. mental health and who they're supporting and it reminded me of a story because if this is the right to put in our podcast there was a lovely story that you shared with me um before that when you were recovering and you were starting to walk and run again and you would you shared a lovely story about going from tree to tree because we were talking about yes. breaking things down into steps and you know yes. for some people they can see you know there's lots of coaches and instagram people out there with very rigid views on how to cope but actually i find that a little invalidating in terms yeah. of some people need their own person-centered plan as you say and you look you shared this I don't know if you want to share it again now no, no, a lovely story about how weird. you got going well I'm again. doing it again I'm doing it again aren't I with my broken ears yes <laughs> yes of course yes. Uh, and that was yeah when you know with breast cancer when I was going through my chemo and I for me people say oh it's exercise no it's my head it's about my head and it's about yes. being in nature I can go yeah. to the gym at that doesn't matter um, you know, so I think, oh my God, you know, I feel awful, awful. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, well, I'll just get to that tree there with my da- darling doggy Alf. So I get to that tree, you know, stagger there. And I think, oh, well, wonder if the bluebells are out. I'll go to the next tree. And then I think, I'm going to, f- oh, I'm going to fall down. And I used to laugh and think, oh, there's dog shit everywhere here because everyone has said, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I'll go a bit further. And I'd go to the next tree a bit further. And then I think I can see the bluebells through there. Oh, bloody hell. I might as well go and check if they're there a little bit further. And then slowly my mood would pick up. And then I'd keep going. Then you hit that high. Even you don't have to be going quickly. Then you start smelling the pine and things like that yeah, and, you know yeah. and then you keep going well I, I say I'm doing that again because I, I I had this awful awful fall I was stuck on my stairs for three yeah. hours yeah but um I had to learn to walk again um and so it was with a frame at first and well the, 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 I came out of the operating theater I think 10 30 at night and I said uh, next morning at 7 a.m., uh, the lady came and said, well, this is, let me tell you what physical therapy is, blah, 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 and then you'll do this, then you'll do that. And I said, well, when will this start? And she said, well, when you feel ready. I said, well, what time is it? She said, 7 a.m. I said, are you ready to go? Yeah, she said, yes, all right. Go. So I said, let me go and have a nose around the ward. So I took my frame and we went around the ward. Um, and then I said, what have you got in your special room? And they have these prop- funny wooden stairs and a big wooden toy car thing. I said, what's that? And she said, oh, it's how we teach people to get in and out of cars. I said, let me have a go. <laughs> you know, because you do. You can't bend more than 90 yeah. degrees. And, you know, and, you know. So um, I went up the pretend stairs. I said, that's all right. Let me try and get in and out of the car. And then we did that. And then the next, I said, right. So I kept going around the ward. And then... Now, then when I came home, um, you know, with, with uh, my husband, now my, well, I, I, I was about to get married and I said, right, I've got to get to this stage so I can walk 
for that, you know. Yeah. And I yeah. I knew if I had to get off the walking frame because I could decorate the stick. My my um, youngest kid uh, decorated my stick with flowers. If I was on oh, the frame, lovely. I was going to I was going to tie a soft toy to the front of my frame, to like the like the rubbish bins. <laughs> <to rubbish. laughs> but my goal was just to get a little bit further every day so it's like um let me see if I can get down because I'm on the water let me see if I can get down I like to see the boats come in let, that's going to be my first thing it might be a, like 50 100 yards so then I sit and have a rest there and that's what I've been doing and I've been even putting on my Instagram going a bit further and I find my favorite rocks to sit on to rest on yeah um just got to get to my next favorite rock and then we start skipping that favorite rock and getting to the next favorite rock but you know and and people have said to me but how do you get out in the morning well I put my even talking to you now I've got my gym bottoms on I always put these clothes on that you associate I, with. I associate with them, yes. like Pavlov's dogs. And I mean, as soon as we finish this, I've got, there's, and the, the other thing I'd say, there's always that one person. There's always that one person. There's always someone that will catch your, your rope when you throw it out. You know, we're boaters. So when you come in, yes, yes. there's always someone, if you throw that, if you shout, three people will ignore you. The fourth person will, will catch the rope. Well, well, my, my, uh, ice skating coach is amazing she will rush down from the ice skating rink she's coming to walk with me lovely um and then she'll rush back to the ice skating rink and I want to get back on the ice so she, she I'm going to have two ice skating coaches and we're going to do little steps and my first thing I'm just going to put my ice skating boots on on the ground and just stand in them that's all we're going to do that's my first step. Just small baby steps. Just a small step. Like, then yeah. lifting my right leg because I broke my right hip. Just learning to lift my right leg with my ice skating boot on. Then I'm going to have two people on either side of me. I'm just going to stand on the ice to see how I feel and maybe do a couple of steps and then get off. So you don't, you know, I've always said when I, running's taught me that. If you look at the top of the hill and say, I've got to run up that hill, you 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 will you're setting yourself up to fail. If you look, break that hill down to how many cars are parked. Let me just get to the second car or the second lamppost. That's yeah. all we're going to do. And I did that. My youngest kid is now a runner and does marathons and wow. learned, started running just to accompany me when I was going through breast cancer because I wouldn't take my oh, what phone. What a nice thing to do. But they found so, value in it. They found that. a value yes. in it. And, and yeah. Maddie... I would whip her legs with grass and she whipped my, they would, sorry, they would whip my legs with grass and all this sort of thing. And I'd say, come on, Mads, I feel vile, but we'd just get to there. Oh, right, mummy. Right, we're there now. What now? So, well, bloody hell, we might as well get to there. Now run, Maddie run, you know, runs marathons. So it's exactly the same. You have to break every journey down if you're deeply depressed your first goal is set your alarm yeah yeah and then getting up set your alarm to a time that you'd like to get up and then set your another alarm for 15 minutes after that and another alarm for 15 minutes that's me yeah Yeah. (laughs) right so the first alarm and do it with music your, your your get up tune or something and do yeah, it with the same yeah. song every time 
you know, or saying, I have A-L-E-X-A, I can't say it out loud, and, and she bloody annoys me. She says stupid things, but <laughs> yes. stupid joke. But it, it, it gets my attention. So that's your first thing to get out of bed. Then the second thing is habits, habits, habits. Have a face cloth in your sink, one face cloth, just buy one face cloth, they're dead cheap in boots or anywhere like that. Fill the basin with the hot water and put get the face cloth every morning and just hold it over your face. Close your eyes and hold it over your face. That's that's your feeling. Yeah. That's just the first thing. Your first thing, just hold it over your face and keep putting in there, holding it over your face. Don't even think, just hold it over your face. That's your first thing. Your next thing is your toothbrush. Every night, put the toothpaste on the toothbrush and put it there because one thing of depression is you don't brush your teeth. Have the softest toothbrush. Use a baby toothbrush. Buy the most ridiculous Buzz Lightyear toothbrush. Something absolutely <laughs> I love that. Just the absolute self-care and compassion, isn't it? Yeah. Little steps. It's little yeah. steps like that. It's not get up and do 50 press-ups and all of this sort of thing. It's go downstairs, walk downstairs, turn yeah. round, go back upstairs, walk downstairs again and go up back stairs again. And it's bloody stupid. Just moving that body. Just yeah. moving that body. It's bl- You can laugh about doing it, but even just doing that, it's a sense of achievement. And if you manage to go up and down the stairs three times instead of twice, yes! It is. I think it's some, a lot of that is demystifying, isn't it? That you know, sometimes the, I guess the problem is when people are following what they should do, you can get really your psychologists say hooked with it. I must be doing that. I should be doing that. And our inner critic's really great at going, "Oh, you're not oh, doing God. that. Everyone yeah. else is doing so much better." But a lot of what you described is really mindful, isn't it? Just feeling that warmth of that face cloth, yes. very gentle. But also strikes me a lot of it's really value based. So as you say, and you've used the word vile a couple of times, you know, really describing how as a human we can go through some really difficult things. But the mindful based stuff and the value of those bluebells mean something. Those rocks mean something yes. to you. That actually sometimes that value based stuff can be an extra. Thing to help with motivation as well because yeah. we get we get pleasure from nature don't we and I can see that you know when you're talking oh, about your I love, experiences I love, and, and the thing is as well and with all the ladies or the people we've kind of ended up coaching if you like online yeah. we say take a photo of it because so many, I remember with Shaz, Shazbat, I call her Shazbat because I don't even know her real name. <laughs> uh, I, I, we've had a relationship for many, many years. And another lady went through, Claire, who went through a very abusive marriage, has got out of that and has become a, an artist to the military and just gone on wow. fantastically over the years. But um, when you take photographs of something, you know, Shazbat, you say, oh, I never realised I say, wow. Oh, where are you running? This is amazing. And she's just yeah. like, she didn't, she, it was really always there. It, yeah. 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 And she'll just, she just walked past it before. I mean, she runs yeah. now. And then she joined a running club and that really helped her. She made mm. more friends. The connection And they helped well. each other and a connection because they kept seeing her going the same way. And that's something else. If you keep going the same way, even if you're in a city, 
And I found when I was a single mum and very depressed, I put one kid in the backpack, one kid in the pushchair, and we went the same way all the time. And gradually people go, oh, hello, you again. Yeah. And you get that yeah. was your connection. Oh, look, there's the, and my kids will go, hello. Yeah, that, and we connect. That familiarity they and always saw you. And then you feel seen. You feel like, oh, I'm not invisible. I'm not a nothing. Those people's faces light up and say hello. I matter enough say, oh, for them yes. to say hi. And they'd say, oh, we didn't see you yesterday. We were worried. And you think, whoa, they don't even know me. And they were worried. Oh, you were a bit late yesterday. We thought, oh, there she is again. You know, um, and you feel like somebody gives a, a damn whether I'm doing this or not. We That reminded me, actually, because we had a conversation, didn't we, once about how to talk to people who may be struggling and I think if it's all right to say particularly the Brits we are a little bit rubbish at we don't know what to say we'll back off and um just that kind of recap and of so many amazing things you said today that people could just take away and start using now it's stuff people can do now we have so much in us that we can already do for ourselves but that sometimes just connecting with someone how are you you don't need to problem solve or have um, a magic phrase but just you know taking the time to say how are you and waiting for the reply can mean the world to someone just a message it could be what's what's happening Uh, I love the 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 western wagwan I say to my kids wagwan yes yeah um but you know just uh are you okay yeah just are you okay and just waiting for the answer I remember I never forget this young man I was running and there was this young man sitting on a a wall um I was in Gravesend actually I think uh I was staying there and there was a young man sitting on the wall and he he just it didn't look right he was dressed smartly but his shoes were caked in mud it it was near a bus stop I don't know why I ran past I thought no and I went past uh, I ran back and I said to him you okay and he looked up, and so I sat not right close to him, because you know, but you know, I don't know, three feet away from him, um, and you know, and just talked to him and said, you know, if you're not okay, please say, yeah, um, you know, what what's happening, and um, you know, it, it just just I could see he was really happy that someone had spoke, stopped and spoken to him, yeah. I was just going to say um, those examples of just the mum that you might see every day or the person to the person who might be in more of a crisis that one thing people could take away, if anything, from our conversation today is just check in. Yes. Just it doesn't take much just to go, are you OK? It might mean stepping a little bit out yes. of our comfort zone. But I think we can all do that. It's those small things I'm after that make a difference now. Yeah. yeah. Um, one of the things that I always ask every guest is what would be your one adversity takeaway? Is there one little nugget that you would like to give people about coping with adversity? Oh, my little saying is that, excuse the language, but shit happens. Yeah, (laughs) it really does. It really does. It really does. Shit happens. It depends what you do with it. You can either roll in it and make sure it, you smell of it forever. I like that. Or I you really can like use that. it to fertilize roses. And and if you do use it to fertilize roses, know that it's not a one-off. You've got to keep fertilizing. Yes. And you've got enough shit in your life to keep <laughs> fertilizing. But you have to look after those roses. You have to nurture those roses. Yes. And you can feed it with the good things that happen in life and also the yeah. bad things that happen yeah. in life. And everything seems like it will last forever, but nothing ever does. 
Yeah. Fantastic bit of advice. I shall go home with that in mind. <laughs> now, obviously, most people know how they can find you. If, is there anything particular you're working on at the moment that you want to let people know about or where they can find you in particular? Well, the talk, my t- I, I am very proud of my Sunday talk TV show, as you know, having been a guest. Yeah, we do. it's great. We look at the world through the eyes of our faith panel. So we can have, you know, Islam, Christianity, Buddhism, Hinduism, you name it, you know. Um, we have our mental health section every week. And we have our doctor in the house every week. We have, um, we look at community groups and see what they're doing, grassroots groups yeah. doing. Uh, so that's on uh, between one and four in the UK. I know we listen to in Australia, all over the world, actually. That's on Talk TV. Um, and you can listen to it. It's also radio. You don't have to watch it on TV. So that's something I'm, I'm very proud of. I do a show on Saturday, but it's quite a different show. So I would promote the Sunday show. I'm on Instagram um, as the real Trisha Goddard because I had to be the real one. Apparently somebody else was pretending to be me. But um, <laughs> I'm on Instagram. I mean, um, you know, and that's basically, uh, you know, my mainstay at the moment. Every so often I do other big shows as well. But uh, until I, I repair this hip and get fully mobile, that's what I'd be concentrating yeah. on. Oh, good luck with that. Those little small oh, steps yes. as well. Really small yeah, I tell you but... what, you take walking for granted. It's funny. I saw a lady with a little baby the other day. Yeah. And, I, and she, this little baby was just walking. And I said to this mum, I've never realised, you know, we take it for granted. I said, how different surfaces are. I said, your little baby walking on the hard surface, it's very different to walking on the grass, to this, to that. She said, oh, really? I said, said, yes, you know, you wouldn't be, you'd be surprised how many children never get the opportunity to walk on grass, you know, and, 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 uh, you know, we were talking about that. I was watching this little baby and I thought, you know, human Humans are amazing things, and it's only when you lose something like the ability to to do something you always took for granted that you see it through other eyes. So, you know, I've seen the world of disability through different eyes as well. So, I, I'm going to get very vocal on disability in the future. As well. I have to have you back on again because my background is in disability. So I've tried on this podcast to get a nice yeah. balance. Um, but that's another little nugget as well. Just you know just appreciate what you have oh yes take time yes take time with that trisha goddard thank you so much for coming on thank you. um people have to find your instagram because also it's the, it's the stories and the connections with the other people and then their stories i now need to know what's going to happen to those two people we talked yes. about today yes. so I'll be going <laughs> yes. checking them out <laughs> thank you so much for coming on thank you thank you tara Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Psychologist Podcast. It's so lovely to have you here. I'm Dr. Tara Quintrillo and you can find me at drtara.co.uk. You'll see everything I'm up to, free resources, my media work and my new COVID recovery clinic as well. Remember to please rate and review my podcast. It really helps people to benefit from the narratives of overcoming adversity if they know where to find us. The Adversity Psychologist Podcast, helping you step at a time.